John chapter 7 and verse 17. I really want to encourage you to listen tonight. This is the kind of message. Now, I, honestly, I feel this way all the time. But tonight I was thinking, I saw people up in the nursery, and, you know, I know we've got to tend to babies and stuff, but this is the kind of message that I would love to cancel everything else going on, have everybody in here. Because what I can offer to you tonight, rather what God's Word will offer to you tonight, can be so, so helpful. And coming back to that whole thing, that question this morning that I posed to you about, you know, do you know the will of God for your life? Well, tonight um, I've got some things that will be really helpful to you. So I'm very excited about it. John 7, I want to read one verse. Verse number 17. Jesus says, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. If any man will do his will. How do we know the will of God? This morning I said, If the glory of God is our highest purpose, and it is, then the will of God must be our chiefest pursuit in life. How do we know the will of God? We've established these facts. God has a will for your life and mine. That is important to know and believe. We know that God's will for us is knowable. You can know the will of God, and so we're without excuse for uh, if we don't live in the will of God. We have no excuse for that. And then thirdly, God's will is discernible to those who position themselves to receive the transmission. Living in the right way so we can receive the will of God, that's important in living the will of God and knowing it. Now, I want to build off that third thing tonight, that God's will is discernible to those who position themselves to receive it. And, uh, and here's what I want to say about that. I want to emphasize two things this evening, two things. Uh, first of all, I want you to see tonight that it is the posture of the heart to know the will of God. How can I know God's will for my life? It begins with the posture of your heart. And then secondly, I want you to think about the practices of your daily life and how they help us to know the will of God. Now, here's the first question. Or the first thing to think about is one's attitude or posture of heart. When you hear the word attitude, that's what we're talking about. The posture of your heart towards God's will. If we're to know the will of God for our life, we're going to have to have a heart that is postured toward God's will in a certain way. You ever been around those people who seem to just have a life filled with God things? You know what I mean by God things? You know, it's those people that it's a God thing for them all the time. You know, every, every time you're around them, they've got some story about what God has done and what God has revealed to them and what he's taught them. Those people that just seem to have that kind of a sense of, of just a, these encounters with God, how God manifests himself in their life. And the question may come up, why does God do that? Or why does that happen so much for certain people? Well, it comes back to the text tonight, John 7, 17. If any man will do his will, he shall know. And so this shows us tonight that willing is the key to knowing there are some people whose heart is just set to, to do the will of God. Their heart is just set on God. They're fixed on God. And that's why they have these encounters with God. If the posture of the heart is, I am willing, Lord. I am willing and I'm ready to go and I'm ready to serve and I'm ready to give. and I, I wanna, I'll go wherever, whenever, however you want me to, Lord. Just tell me if that's the posture of the heart. That person will know the will of God. The perfect example of that biblically is John leaning upon Jesus 
breast at the table that night. The one who, who, who just wants to be close will know more than others do. If any man will do his will. You know, Jesus taught us that the posture of our heart is one of the most important things about us. Matthew 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You see, if your heart is postured right, you are going to be able to see God in ways others will never see God. Again, Paul wrote, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21 And that is to say that the posture of his heart was always to do what pleased God. Do you live to do the will of God? That's an essential question tonight. The posture of my heart, the, the purpose of my life, I live to do the will of God. We need to understand that it is very possible to be a follower of Jesus and yet be such a follower who has held back some of their surrender. They harbor within them a place for their own will and they're not yet willing to do totally God's will. Let me show, show you what I mean tonight. This morning I, I referenced the passage in Matthew chapter 16 and I'm going to go there this evening and you can look there with me. Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus gave us this powerful truth about how the only way to save our life is to be willing to give it up for Him. Now, what was it that happened right before that that led Jesus to say those things? Look in verse 13 of Matthew 16. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter, in the spotlight, this time in a good way, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I believe Jesus was excited to tell Peter that. It's like Jesus was saying, Wow, Peter, you got it, man. That's the answer. And Jesus commends him for his faith. He says, Peter, you're the rock. Peter was the rock before there was the rock. Peter was the rock. Peter's right. Peter's faith-filled. Peter's trustworthy. In this moment, he's commendable. He's dependable because right here, he is completely focused on God. And that's where we want to be. But then we read on. Verse number 20, he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter, oh Peter, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, 
For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. What happened? Well, suddenly, Peter's focus shifts from all about God to some, what about me? Now, on the surface, it might not look that way. Peter's heart is not like totally vile and foul here. Peter's concern is, is Lord, I would, I would never let that happen to you. As long as I'm here, they'll never touch you. Now, what was that? It sounds like devotion, right? But we know it wasn't because Jesus rebukes it. It was Peter being very self-centered. Peter didn't want this to happen because how it would affect Peter. Did he love the Lord? Yes. Did he want to be with Jesus? Yes. But he didn't want Jesus to be taken from him. But see, that's not God's will. That's man's will. And that's what Jesus calls out in Peter. Peter wasn't ready for the will of God if it included suffering. And it would. Now, I'll go ahead and report, those of you that hadn't read in First and Second Peter in a while, Peter got the lesson. And he became a great apostle and suffered much for Jesus and got in the will of God. But right here, right now, He's thinking Jesus has to be wrong, and Peter asserts himself. After all, he is now the rock, right? And he's going to refuse to let this happen. Not on my watch, Lord. I believe that Peter was a captive of the first century comfort culture. If this is going to make this uncomfortable, I don't want any part of this. I mean, it's been pretty good up till now, but, you know, it, it, this doesn't sound like what I want to be a part of. You know, that, that comfort culture's been around a long time, and it's still around today. Peter had the make life good ideology. Can't we just make life good? Why does it have to be hard? Lord, why do we have to mess this thing up? We got a good thing going here. His surrender to the will of God was only going to go so far. If he liked what the Lord said, then he was ready to go along with it, but if it wasn't to his taste, then he would rebuke it. Now, have we done that in our life? Sure, we have. Every one of us have. Maybe not with the boldness Peter had. Some of us have with the boldness Peter had. But you know, Jesus had to rebuke the Satan in Peter. And he said to him, You savor not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. You're not making the will of God the priority here, Peter. You've got to keep the first thing first. And so then Jesus gives us those great verses we read this morning. That if a man is going to save his life, he's got to be willing to lose it. Take up your cross and follow me. Not only, Peter, is it going to happen to me, but good news for you, Peter, you get to take up your cross and come with me. Whoa, whoa. That's not what he wanted to hear. But Peter got the lesson. By the grace of God, we will too. Now, what is the posture of your heart to God's will? Do you live to do the will of God, or do you reserve the right to object when it doesn't please you? The irony, of course, is that it is only when we finally yield ourselves completely to God's will that we will truly be pleased and blessed and fulfilled in this life. So, let me tell you just a few things concerning the posture of the heart towards the will of God. If everything we have studied and preached up until now over the last few weeks has been the foundation of knowing the will of God, then what I give you right now will be like the framework of it. We're going to build on the foundation. 
the posture of our heart. Let me tell you three things about this, three, three important things. Number one, defer to God's will always. Defer to God's will always. Now, we have a great text for that in James chapter 4. And this is one we commonly think of and go to when we talk about the Lord's will being done. James said in chapter 4, verse 13, Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Now, the thing is, there wasn't anything wrong with saying tomorrow we're going to go into the city and we're going to do this and do that and do this. Nothing wrong with planning. But James said, don't be presumptuous against the will of God. Nothing wrong with you having plans. Nothing wrong with you having desires. Nothing wrong with you kind of going about your life in the way you think makes sense. But never make that more important than God's will. Always defer to the will of God. Knowing the will of God means having a heart that is postured toward a deference to God's will all the time. When we surrendered our lives to Jesus, did we not surrender our will? Of course we did. Just like Paul on the way to Damascus, he had two questions. He said, who art thou, Lord? And question number two was, what do you want me to do? And there was a deference of will to Jesus. But even though we surrendered our will to Jesus, that didn't mean that we lost our will. We still have our will. We still have our own heart, our own desire, our own spirit. But to be saved, we yielded all of that to Jesus. And this is why, and we will consider this more as we go along, that even when we, we have the liberty to choose in life, and we do have a lot of liberty to choose, but when we have that liberty to choose, we always come back to a recognition that God's best is better than our best. And that's important to remember. God may allow you to make some choices in your life. Praise God for that. I, I love that we have a Heavenly Father who doesn't treat us like robots. He doesn't pre-program us and then push play and, and then we just kind of you know, unwind like a top. But we always keep in mind that our best will never be as good as God's best. And so we would prefer that God would override our best if he sees something better, right? And that's the posture of our heart. This is why the biblical writers said things like this. Acts 18 and verse 21, Paul bade, he's got the, the leaders of the church together, and he bade them farewell saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. Paul said, I am determined. I've got to get there for the feast. I, I, I've got to get there before it's over. I want to be there for that. And if God wills, I'll come back and see you. This is what I want to do, but I'm always going to let God check me. Hebrews 6, 3, and this will we do if God permit. That's deference to the will of God. It's a good plan. It's the right thing to do, but God's best is better than our best. And we always keep in our heart that we defer to God's will. Remember, God's will is always a partnership between you and God, but He's the majority partner. It's not a 50-50 proposition, is it? Paul said in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. There's a partnership going on between me and God in getting God's will done in my life. Number two, not only do we defer to God's will always, but the posture of our heart should be to delight in God's will. Delight in it. Now, 
I don't want to belabor this point too much. But I'm going to have to give you what just crossed my heart. Sometimes, just every once in a while, it's hard to see the delight of God's people in a song service. You know what I'm talking about. I don't want to belabor it too much. I don't want to beat up people tonight, but I got to tell you, it's hard to believe we delight in doing the will of God when this is how we sing. Right? You say, well, I don't feel like singing. I don't care if you feel like singing. I told you this morning, I had nothing to do with your feelings. You don't even have to like the song. I mean, if it's a bad song, I'm not going to sing it either. But we don't sing bad songs here. Just decide, I'm going to sing. Psalm 119, verse 47. And I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. He says, just love the will of God. Just long for the will of God. Just lavish in the will of God. That's what delight means. I delight in it. There's nothing that moves me more. Nothing I get more excited about. That's what he's saying. I just want to do the will of God. Lord, whatever you want, that's what I want to do. I don't want to do anything you don't want me to do. And I want to give my all to what you do want me to do. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. You've all heard his name. He and his wife had several children. And all of them, except for one, held prominent positions in that mission organization through the years. They had one daughter. Her name was Marion. And she contracted smallpox as a child. And for the rest of her life, she lived as a semi-invalid. She was very limited physically in what she could do. So she never married, but she spent her years working at the headquarters of the Salvation Army, doing odd jobs and tasks around the building, whatever she could do. She had a friend who once said to her, Marion, it's a pity that a woman of your capabilities should be hindered by sickness from doing the Lord's work. Marion's answer was, it's wonderful to do the Lord's work, but it's greater still to do the Lord's will. She delighted to do the will of God. Now, you can't fake that, can you? You can't fake it. It's either true about us or it isn't. Why should we do the will of God? You know, if we think about that, sometimes our first answers may be, well, we should do the will of God because it's the right thing to do, or we should do the will of God because it's the safe thing to do. I mean, you know, you don't want to be out of the will of God. But our first thing should be to do the will of God because it pleases the heart of God. We delight in the will of God because God delights in us doing it. 1 John chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God, and whatsoever we ask we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. John's describing there the kind of life that every Christian ought to want to live. Where we just kind of go about our days just enjoying it. Oh, I, look, I know I'll be the first one to say. Just about every day has its fair share of battles. I, I, I'll get behind Jesus because he said at verse, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. It's a hard way. But I'm going to tell you something. As hard as it may get, I've never known a day since I've known Jesus that was not at its foundation, filled with joy. And underneath the darkest, troublous times, there's always been peace. It cannot be eradicated in our life. And it's a delight to do the will of God. Pleasing God is really the only way, the only sure way 
for us to be pleased in our own life. Now, once our posture is deference to God's will and delight in God's will, then we're ready for the third thing, which is the discovering of God's will. You see, I've got everything right and ready now. I defer to God, Lord, whatever you want. And whatever it is, I'm excited about it. I delight in it. Now, I am in a place where I can discover God's will for my life. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about God's will. It's the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And yes, God has a will. He has a big picture will for your life. He also has a particular daily will for your life. And we're learning all the time, how do we live in that? How do I conduct myself tomorrow so that I am not only in the big picture will of God, but how do I do tomorrow, hour by hour, the things that are in the will of God? Now, I'll tell you, discovering God's will requires surrender. Now, we discussed that this morning. And I want to just make the point again tonight. Until you're willing, until you're yielded up to God's will, until you're surrendered completely, you're not going to be able to discover His will very, very easily in your life. So discovering God's will requires surrender, but it also includes prayer and Scripture. Now, there may not always be, in terms of, like, how do I know God's will in this situation that I'm in? I've got, a, I've got something in front of me here, and maybe I've got two or three choices. If you're like me, when I, when I was uh, graduating high school, I was being recruited by all kinds of people. Army, Marine Corps. I didn't pay attention to the Navy. I mean, I mean, I mean Preacher, Preacher Jack, uh, the Navy, they was a good, that was a possibility. No, I'm kidding. None of them were even looking for me. But sometimes we'll be standing at a place in our life where there are options in front of us. And maybe there's, say there's three options. Say I can go this way, this way, or this way, and all three of them look good. How do I know which one to do? Now, I may not always get a chapter and verse where God will speak to me and tell me clearly, take option B. Now, God does that. I've experienced that in my life multiple times, but it hasn't always happened that way. How do I know what to do? I got three great options. How do I discern the will of God? Now, I may not have a chapter and verse that will help me to know the decision that I need to make, but we certainly want to make sure that our soul is saturated in prayerfulness and in the Word of God before we make any decisions, right? That's what keeps us in that posture of deference to God's will and delight in God's will that will help me to discover God's will. But here's the thing that I want to say to you. Discovering God's will includes obedience to the revealed will of God. Now, just to say that another way, very simply, if I'm not doing what God's already told me and showed me, I'm not ready to do anything else, right? We've got to be in obedience to what has already been revealed to us. Now, if I have met those conditions, I'm in a place to, to make a choice. But before I go there, when Christians are asked, I think, do you know the will of God for your life, what are the answers that are most commonly given? Maybe tonight these will reflect some of your thoughts. Somebody might say, well, I mostly know the will of God, I think. They may say, well, I somewhat know the will of God. Or, or, or generally, yeah, I know God's will for my life. Now, the reason we answer that way, and I think those are common answers, the reason we answer that way is we do know a lot about God's will, generally speaking. In other words, we know that we ought to love our neighbor. That's the will of God. We know that we ought to obey our parents we know that we ought to give to those in need. We ought to be in church. We know the will of God, generally speaking, in those types of things. We also understand to some degree, and we're, we're seeking, that the things where God says, you know, be holy, 
Be kind. Be perfect as your Father which is in heaven. In other words, be. Become the sort of people for whom doing the right good thing becomes the natural thing in their life. So we understand generally the will of God. That list of what is the will of God for my life could have a thousand things on it. And most of them would be on your list too. So we kind of understand the general will of God. That's why we would answer it that way. Where we tend to have more uncertainty about God's will is in those big picture life situations that are particular to us. What's my career? What, what am I supposed to do for, for work and career? Should I take this job? Should I leave this job? We, we think about marriage. Who do I marry? If you come up in the fantasy world of there's only one special perfect person out there in the world for you, I just want to say good luck. They say there's 8 billion people in the world. Let me know how that goes finding that person. But how do I know? I said sometimes we stand at a crossroads where we've got three good choices in front of us. When I was looking for a wife, I had 25 women to choose from. How do I know which one to choose? You all act like you don't believe that. Moving, buying a house, things of life that are particular to us at a certain season of our life. How do we know God's will in doing those things? And, 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 and you know, even things like going on vacation. Should I go? Should we go on this vacation or should we stay? Should we send our children to this school or not? Should we plant a garden this year? Should we take an art class or take up bungee jumping? These are things to consider, right? How do we know the will of God in all that? And then... We know we ought to pray, and we know we ought to read the Bible, and we ought to see if God will show us the way over any of that. We need to pray. We need to seek God in the Scriptures over all that. Because we have some really amazing and pointed Scriptures about this in the Bible. Listen, Proverbs 25, verse 4 and 5. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. So we have a lot of scripture that says pray and, and search the scriptures and let God lead you. But while we clearly want God to guide us in life, if you notice the language of those passages, these are words coming from a believer. These are prayers coming from a believer who is not passive. In other words... They're not plopped down on the side of the road saying, I'm not budging until God writes the answer in the sky or in the dirt. I don't care. Sends an email, telegram, pigeon. I'm not going anywhere until God tells me exactly what to do. That's not the attitude of these people. They are very active. They're in the process of going and saying, God, I'm gone. Now lead me. I'm moving, Lord, teach me. I'm acknowledging you in all my ways, Lord. You've got to direct me because I am after it. See, that's how we're supposed to live. Now, that's a real practice of faith-filled walking on. And that's how we're supposed to do it. God, I'm, I'm going to go this way because to the best of my understanding, this seems right. But I'm trusting you to guide me all the way. That's that deference to God's will above our own. Consider what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4, 19. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will. Chapter 16, verse 5 through 9. Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia. Same letter, by the way. The second time he said, I'm coming, I'm coming. I'm coming if the Lord will. And then 12 chapters later, I'm coming to you 
when I pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia, and it may be that I will abide, yea, in winter with you, that ye may bring me on a journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. You got, you got Paul, like, back and forth there all the way. Like, he's like, I am going. I have a mission, and I am doing it. Now, now, if God wills, I'm going to do this and this this, but in the meantime, I am going. That's, the, that's how we're supposed to live our life of faith. In many ways, this is exactly how I ended up here at McLeansville Baptist Church. I knew God was moving me out of the army. I knew that in my heart, I longed to come back into the, the church, the local church, and, and teach God's word, but I had no idea where to go. I didn't even know if I was supposed to pastor or what I was supposed to do. I didn't have all the answers. I didn't get a telegram. I didn't wake up in the middle of the night with a vision. I didn't even have a passage of Scripture that made it all clear. And I do know what that experience is like. I've had that many times in my life. I can tell far more examples of the move of God in my life, in my family's life, where God did give me clear direction through Scripture but, and through prayer, but this, this wasn't like that. But there were a series of events that kept happening this door opened and I went there, this happened and I went there and when I went there, this happened and it led to this and this and then lo and behold, almost seven years ago, I wound up here on Thursday night talking to seven deacons in this church who I had no connection to and would have never had a connection to. Now, how did I get to that point? I just simply was going. I was doing. I dropped the resignation packet in November of 2015, I guess. I didn't know where I was going, but come the first of the next year, I was going somewhere. But I'm going, and God's got a plan, and God showed his plan. Now, what's the point of all that? We want to do the will of God. We know the will of God. But what about all those particulars for which we don't have the chapter or verse, or we don't get a vision in the night? How do we proceed with that? It's a huge thing trying to comprehend the will of God. But considering everything we've learned, what if there were a way to simplify our approach to this? What if we could build a sort of safe zone in which we could live and operate out of so long as we stay there? If we could do that, we're quite apt to do the will of God in every way of our life. Remember the two illustrations I've given over the course of these weeks? The first one was way back, I think the first week or so, I preached on the, knowing the will of God. And I talked about my children out playing in the yard and how I step out into the yard and I had nothing for them to do. I required nothing of them, but I knew where they were and I took joy in seeing and listening to what they were doing. I needed nothing of them and they were perfectly in my will, doing what they wanted to do. That's what it's like to live in the will of God. You've received no further orders, just keep on doing what you're doing and have a good time. And then I told you about the cruise ship. When Athena and I were on the cruise ship, that ship, being the will of God, is headed towards a destination, and I'm going to get there. And while I am in that ship, on board that ship, there are lots of options available to me for things to do. I can do it all by my own choice because I'm safely in the will of God, safely on board the ship. This is what it is to be in the will of God. Now, if we could find ourselves living inside that big will of God's will, We'll have many options to choose from and liberty from God to make many, many choices on our own. Honestly, I was talking about this afternoon, the AP and I, 
that long time we took uh, last year, or the, this was the year before leading up to last year, trying to decide what we were going to do for a mission trip. And really, this is how we came to that destination. It was really just, hey, this seems like a good idea. Let's try this. Oh, that's working. Let's keep trying. You know, and, and that's how it unfolded. That's not how it always happens. But it worked. It's one of the best mission trips we've ever done. I was thinking about all those passages that could express to us what the will of God is. And really, as I said earlier, it would, be, it would number in the thousands. But then I recalled that there are a few verses of Scripture that specifically say, this is the will of God. Now, I don't have time to do anything with them tonight, but I want to give them to you. This is not, this is not some... Uh, I don't know the right terms to use on this. In other words, I'm going to take some scriptures, and it's going, to die, it's going to be that thing that they always say that a preacher shouldn't do, to pull a scripture from here, pull a scripture from here, and, and form some kind of doctrine out of it. I'm not trying to do that. I'm giving you at least a sense of understanding, a, a methodology, a principle, that if we can discern the big picture will of God and live in that, then we'll be safe to make decisions in our life when we're facing A, B, and C corridors and not sure which one is the best, we'll have a platform from which to make those decisions. Four passages in the New Testament specifically say this is the will of God. I'm going to give them to you, let you write them down. I want to encourage you to look at them. And the next time when I get the opportunity to, to preach on this, I want to go back to them. And these four virtues lived out would form that wall of a safe zone wherein if we are living in these four commands, we are apt to be the sort of people who will do the will of God as a normal way of life. And I'll say all that again next time. If we'll live inside. If I can form sort of this border of safe zone and I live inside that will of God, then I'll be the kind of person that's pretty much going to do a good job of finding and doing the will of God in most of my life. Here they are. John chapter 6, verse number 40. And read it. If you're going to write them down, write the whole context. John 6, verse 38 through 40. Verse 40 says, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. Four, the four things that are, we're told clearly are the will of God. And that first one is, it is the will of God that all would believe on Jesus. First, as our Savior, and then once we are His, believe on Him as the shepherd that guides our life. And we would then follow Him from a heart that desires to be with Him. So the first one is, it's the will of God that all would believe in Jesus. Now, I just want you to think about that. Take that and ponder on that. What all kind of possibilities does that open up? We know without a doubt it's God's will that all people would be saved. And Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what does that tell me about God's will for my life? Well, that opens up a lot, doesn't it? Now here's the second one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And look at verse 1 through 5. Write, just write it down for now. I want to come back to this. Well, this one really gets my attention, and I'd love to just open it up tonight, but we're going to look at it. 
1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 is the one that says this. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Now what this tells me about the will of God, it is the will of God that we live a sanctified life, abstaining from sexual sins. Isn't that intriguing? Of all the things that could have been said, this is the will of God. God gave us a verse that says it's the will of God that you abstain from fornication. That really intrigued me. And I spent a good deal of time this afternoon just pondering on that, of why that's such a major thing in the Bible. We'll be coming back to it. Number three, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the context is verse 16 through 22. And really, it helps to read the whole context because it says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. But verse 18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, at first I thought, well, then it's the will of God that we all be thankful in everything. But I could not shake looking at the context of that passage. And when you look at it, you'll see what I'm saying. It seems almost an injustice to pull out that one thing and say, well, it's just the will of God that we be thankful in everything. It seems to me that that whole passage, verse 16 through 22, is describing something very much like Ephesians 5, 18 through 20 that says, be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Singing, rejoicing, being thankful, and submitting yourselves to one another. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 to 20 and see. If it doesn't show you that, verse 16 through 22. Boy, I can't wait to come back and talk about it. So here's the third thing. Here's what I'm saying on that one. It is the will of God that we be spiritually minded Christians. I'm going to give you the fourth thing, but just think about those three already. It's the will of God that all would believe on Jesus. Now, if we're living in that one, that's a good place to be. It's the will of God that we live a sanctified life abstaining from sexual sins. That's a good way to live. That's a safe place to be. And it's the will of God that we be spiritually minded Christians. We're describing somebody who is fit to do the will of God, aren't we? I mean, if you're living inside just those three, if all we have was a triangle, we're in good shape. Now, let me give you the last one and we'll close. We'll pray and, and sing and go home. Write this one down. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. That's the full context. Actually, there's a lot more in that chapter that is the context, but that's the immediate context. But listen, it's verse 15 that says, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. What is the will of God in this passage? It is the will of God that we always do the right thing. Now, that sounds kind of obvious, doesn't it? Oh, but boy, if we dive into that thought a little bit, it is tax season, you know. And the will of God is that we always do the right thing. I read a story about it, and it, it actually reminded me of, uh, of an episode of the Andy Griffith Show, but y'all wouldn't know it because it's a color episode. So I won't even try to explain it to you. But I read a story, a true story, about a, a man and a woman who, who had bought a diamond ring, $2,800 diamond ring, and they took an insurance policy out on it. Sure enough, they lost it on a trip. They couldn't find it. They, they cashed in, got the 2800 They bought a new diamond ring. Life went on. Two years later, they found that diamond ring 
down inside a suitcase. Two years later, now what did they do? The policy said that if the original item that was lost was ever found, they were to either return the money or return the original item. So you know what they did? Two years after the policy was cashed, they, they sent that $2,800 diamond ring to the insurance company. It's a true story. They said the insurance company told them, we don't know what to do with this. They said in all the years they'd been in business writing policies, no one had ever returned anything. Now, how many of them people that had cashed in policies and found the lost item were Christians, right? But God's will is that we always do the right thing. Now, put those four things together tonight. If we'll be that, I mean, boy, I really don't even have to say anything else about it, do I? But I want to because those are great passages. But just think about the wall we've just created there. Those four qualities, a person of faith, one who's committed to following Jesus from the heart, a person of holiness, one who pursues sanctified living, abstaining from sexual sin, a person of thankfulness and spiritual mindedness who offers to God praise and thanksgiving in everything, a person of integrity, the one who chooses to do the right thing no matter what, who sees it or who doesn't see it. That sort of person could stand tonight before path A, B, and C and be the kind of person that no matter which way they go, they're probably going to be okay. Isn't that good? Man, I tell you what, that encourages me.